Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. And uh, if you'll turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 5, and uh, uh, I'm in a series on salt life and uh, staying salty this morning and uh, in salt life. And uh, I want to read our our text this morning, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13, beginning in verse 13 and reading through to verse 16. And then we're going to go over to Romans chapter 14 and verse 17, or 17, 14, I'm sorry, Romans 17 and verse 14. And then we're going to get right into the word uh, this morning. I read something I thought was interesting this week, and it kind of reminded me of the church. You know, um, in the presidential election of uh, 1848, Zachary Taylor had been elected president. And uh, James K. Polk was on his way out. And, uh, and that day, they didn't inaugurate presidents till March of the following year. So when they were elected in November, then they would inaugurate them in March of the next year. We do it in January now. And there's reasons for that. Travel uh, was a little bit more difficult in those days. And so in 1849, um, uh, President Taylor was to be inaugurated on, on March 4th of that year. The problem was is that that fell on a Sunday, fell on a Sabbath day. And of course, the general population at that time understood uh, everything to be under the Judeo-Christian values uh, in our nation. And so Zachary Taylor said, I don't want to be inaugurated on the Lord's Day. I'll wait to the 5th of March to take office. And so James K. Polk Uh, He was on his way out on March 3rd. On March 3rd at noon, his term ended. And he left the United States with one full day without a president and a commander-in-chief. One full day. But the truth was, we wasn't left without a president because our Constitution uh, says that the ranking senator, or our highest ranking senator, uh, is to be what is called pro tems, uh, or pro tempore, which means that if he is third in line to be president, uh, today it is uh, Senator Leahy uh, from Vermont. He is our, he is our pro tems today. But what happened was is that uh, that evening of the third, that day of the third, um, the Ranking senator at that time was a name by the name of David Adjutson. And uh, he was the senior senator. He was from Missouri. And, um, and so that being understood, um, I thought to myself, what would you do if you could be president for one day? <laughs> I know a lot of what I'd do. I'd be signing so many executive orders, they, they, would, they would come get me out of there. <laughs> I'd end a bunch of foolishness, y'all. And, um, but that day that he was to be uh, president for a day, a pro tems, uh, he had worked late in the evening on the 2nd of, of uh, March. And uh, he had worked late into the night uh, preparing all the things that needed to be prepared for an incoming president. Um, he went home to sleep. And he went to bed late that evening, one or two in the morning on the third, and he slept the whole day, almost the whole day, the next day that he was president. He's acting president, and he's in bed just about the whole day. He slept just about the, the most historic day of his life and career. He oversleeps and sleeps all day. <laughs> I mean, think about that for a moment. The sleep through the opportunity that you have to be president for a day. And I thought to myself, I'm kind of afraid that's what the church has been doing. We've been sleeping through this hour and opportunity that God has given us and this hour in which God could use us to reach the world. And I believe the church has somewhat fallen asleep this morning. But I want to read to you Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, 
How shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled under the foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. If you would turn with me over to the book of Romans chapter 17. Or 14, I'm sorry, Romans 14. Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14 and verse 17. It says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. I want to read that again. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. How many know that's a powerful verse? It's a great verse this morning. I don't know about you, but have you ever made a decision that you didn't know why you did it? <laughs> you ever made a decision that really wasn't very smart? You'd say to yourself, why in the world or what in the world was I thinking when I did that? Ever done something that you felt like you had just forces that were inside of you driving you from the inside and then you regretted it? After you did it, and you say, what is that? What are, what are those passions? What are those desires? Have you ever been in a situation where you've done something, and you thought you knew something inside of you was driving you to do it, and you knew you shouldn't do it, but you did it anyway, and after you had done it, you thought, why in the world did I do that? In other words, what are those passions? What are those desires? When we end up in the place we never wanted to go or do the things we never wanted to do. Let me say this this morning. God has intent and purpose for every life that is in this building this morning. God has an outcome for us all this morning that God wants for all of us. There are times that I have wrestled with God that I thought that I could have mapped out a better road than he could have, right? Has any of you ever wrestled with God's purpose and will in your life where you thought, I could map out a better road for my life than what God could do? He is still convincing and showing me that he takes all things and he turns and he turns it. God will take all things and he turns it to our good. God takes all things. See, he takes all things in our life and he begins to turn it. But what happens is we don't see that in the midst of him turning our lives. You ever wonder why they never put passing lanes when you're going around a corner or making a turn? <laughs> why? Why, not, why don't they have passing lanes when you're going around the corner? It's because you can't see around the corner. You have no idea where you're headed or what's going on around the corner. But when God is turning it, even though I don't see what's around the corner, I have to believe that God is turning it to my good, and God is going to reach his intended purpose for my life. And that gives me hope in times that I don't understand everything. Right? That gives us hope and when times when we don't understand everything that God is doing. But how many know God is going to reach his intended purpose for your life this morning? God, even in the turning of our lives, God sees around the corner even though we may not see. God knows where we're headed. God knows what the end is going to be and what the intended end is to be in our life. And because we can trust him with that, we, he can give us hope in times that we don't understand everything that God is doing in our life. And so what I'm really trying to say this morning 
is this. I want to talk a little bit and preach a little bit this morning about the kingdom of God. The kingdom that is coming in us. Before God can bring the kingdom into the earth, He first has to get the kingdom in us. He first has to get the kingdom in us because there are too many things holding some of us back this morning. And we've not released everything to God. And so he wants to get the kingdom of God in us so that the kingdom of God can be in the earth. And the Bible tells us in this verse, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom. In other words, the kingdom of God, that is what Jesus came to bring into our lives. That's what he came to bring into our lives this morning. Listen, if you don't have these individually, I don't care what else you have, you don't have the kingdom. If you don't have righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, it doesn't matter what else you have, you don't have the kingdom this morning. I know, starting off real raw this morning, ain't I? <laughs> but let's just be honest this morning. Look, you can be financially loaded this morning. You can, you can have position and favor. You can, make, you can be someone who makes decisions for a, for a thousand people that move at your words. But if you don't have these things in your life this morning, the kingdom has not come. Righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Ghost. Jesus came to make things right with God in our lives. He came to give us peace this morning. And the very joy that we have in Him is the very strength that we have to live by this morning. Jesus came to make things right with God this morning. He came to give you peace this morning. And he came to give you a joy that gives you strength to live out a victorious life in him this morning. The thing is, I see people chasing everything in Christianity but these three things. And many of them in the name of the kingdom. But the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom and all these things are added unto you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all of these things shall be added unto you. What are these things? These things are righteousness. All these things shall be. Seek first the kingdom, and then what comes? It's an interesting word in the Greek. It means, and these things, these things are representative of God's character. God's put faithfulness in us. He puts truthfulness in us. Really, the root word means, and these things that come, it really means that things that have been appointed by God. When you seek first the kingdom of God, then comes into your life those things that God has appointed for your life. Isn't that good news this morning? In other words, these things are things that come that produce right action in your life. When you seek first the kingdom of God, all these things that are added to your life is the right actions, the right responses that lead us into the purpose and God's intended purpose for our lives. Hallelujah. If I seek first righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, stuff will never be a problem. Things will never be a problem in my life. Resources will never be a problem. Relationships will never be a problem. And because I have inherited three, inherit three dynamics of the kingdom for successful living, these are key to successful, victorious life in our lives. But when you, they give us successful living, but when you chase successful living, blessing, promises, resources, favor, opportunities, influences, those are all in the kingdom. We know that. But if you start preaching that before you preach this, what happens is 
All you're doing is you're trying to go out there and get things and work them things into peace, into righteousness, into joy. When the truth is the kingdom of God, what comes first is righteousness, peace, and joy. And then after those things, follow everything else that God has for your life. Are you with me this morning? Hallelujah. Church people are chasing a lot of stuff. And the truth is they're chasing a lot of things and they're miserable. They're anxious. They're fearful. They're hanging by an emotional thread. Where is the peace? Really, where is the peace? Where is the peace? Where are the flat-out happy people? <laughs> Let me ask that. Where are the flat-out happy people this morning? Where are the happy Christians? Where is the true joy? Where are the people that are happy over what they do have this morning? instead of complaining over what they didn't have, right? Where are the people that are coming into the house of God praising in here because you woke up this morning? Where are, the happy, where are the people that come in and are just happy over the fact of what you do have this morning and not overwhelmed by what you don't have this morning, but thankful that God woke you up this morning. Why are we so focused on what we don't have and what has not happened in our life? Because the truth is, just because you're here, listen to me, just because you're here this morning, grace is swirling around you. Just to get you here, just to get you to this age or get you to this service, you have no idea the angels that had been dispatched, the things God had canceled, the assignments he destroyed that was against you just to get you in this building this morning so that you could worship God this morning. I don't know if we really understand all that God has done for us. We can't be joyful and happy if, these, if, if there's anything that is praiseworthy, the scripture says. Think on these things. So where are the happy people? Where's the joy this morning? Where's the joy in just knowing that Jesus has saved you and that you're here worshiping this morning and that you've experienced freedom in Christ Jesus this morning? Hallelujah. We can be grateful for that this morning. And we be grateful these things, these things that are praised for we, worthy. We can be thankful for every blessing we have. We can be thankful for the Lexus, the Mercedes, the four-car garage. Thank you. That the blood, but listen, all those things are nice, but we should be rejoicing this morning that our names have been written down in the Lamb's book of life. That the blood has washed away our sins this morning. My mind is in a good place. My family is intact. I'm not in a hospital bed. I'm able to worship in a nation where I won't get shot for worshiping God. I have a Bible. Thank God you ate last night. Hallelujah. Huh? Where is it? It's so simple, but it's so far out of our grasp this morning. Because we have to understand that God wants the brain, wants us to be kingdom-minded this morning. And our minds have been, we have been taught so many other things other than the kingdom this morning. But I want to preach a little bit on the kingdom of God this morning. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Let's just, let's just, let me show you this. Let me show you some things this morning. First of all, Jesus made it clear that the kingdom begins in you. John the Baptist, 
The forerunner, John the Baptist, said, he said this, repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. Before the kingdom of God could come, there was a message that had to be, that had to go forth. The message was not apologize to God. The message wasn't come and tell God you're sorry. He said, repent for the kingdom is at hand. In other words, here's what John the Baptist is saying. You're going to have the opportunity for what angels dare to look into. You have the opportunity this morning. We have the opportunity of what prophets in the Old Testament prophesied but longed to see and to have. But to qualify and to get into the right position, it will require repentance this morning. Repentance is not apologizing. Apologizing is saying, I'm sorry for what I did. You can, listen, you can apologize to God with no intention to go out and change your behavior. People do it all the time. They can apologize to God, but in their heart, they have no intention of changing the way they behave. You can come down and truly be sorry for everything that you have done and, and consequences that have broken out in your life. You can cry and ask for forgiveness to forgive you. And guess what? He will this morning. But to enter the kingdom, you have to repent. Y'all with me this morning? We have to repent. We have to repent to get into the kingdom. The word repent means to have change of mind or to change directions. Part of the root word, pent, we get from our word that we use for penthouse, which means to return to the top. In other words, if you want to return to where Adam was initially, which is right standing with God, you have to repent. And by repenting, we return back to Initially, what God had given Adam, we return right back to that relationship that had been broken with God. But here's the good thing. When we repent and we come back into that relationship with God, we now have the kingdom of God living on the inside of us. The kingdom of God has come. Repentance is a change of mind, moving back to the top, which means a change of direction. John the Baptist said that you can't get the kingdom and have your mind the old way. Kingdom living is returning back to right relationship with God. That is kingdom living. What John the Baptist is trying to say, John the Baptist, he came to religious people who were in a religious system. And you're not going to be able to mash or take a religious system and mash the kingdom through it, through a religious mindset. You can't take the kingdom and filter it through a religious mindset. Look, everybody in this room has a filter this morning. Some of y'all have a heathen filter. Some of you have a Baptist filter. Some of you have a strict filter. Some of you have a lenient filter. Some of you have a Presbyterian, Methodist, Pentecostal, charismatic filter. And some of you have no filter at all. <laughs> you just say whatever you want to say, irregardless of who hears it and whose feelings it hurts. And basically, we try to take some of the things we learn by the Word of God and we try to slam them through the filter that's already in our life and place. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? We try to take principles of the kingdom and we try to slam them through the filter that is in our lives. If we have a religious filter, we try to slam the things of the kingdom through that religious filter. And we try to push it through there. When the truth is, 
we have to understand the kingdom can't go through your present filter. The kingdom itself is a filter. And what God is saying that through the prophet or through John the Baptist, you are going to have to remove what you have learned up to this point and replace it with a kingdom mindset. That way everything God says will go through the kingdom filter instead of you trying to see it through what what you've been through, through your experience or what you have experienced or have been taught. That's what we do. We try to take the kingdom and push it into the filter by which we have tried to live or what we have experienced. When the truth is, the kingdom itself is a filter. That we need to filter all of life through the kingdom of God. In the story of Ruth, I was reading this week. We know that in the story of Ruth, there's Orpha, there's Naomi, there's Ruth. And they really represent three responses to the things of God. We have Orpha who never received her inheritance. Why? She couldn't leave her old gods, her old, her old folks, and previous teachings. Because she clung to what she had been taught, she turned back quickly. Right? Naomi began to inherit in part, but Ruth went to Boaz and was willing to go to do everything the whole way, and nothing was going to hold her back. And so she was going through until she received everything that God had for her. Most of us have the mindset that in our mindsets we won't let the kingdom of God come in our lives because we have mindsets that keep us from receiving principles of the kingdom in our lives. And what happens is we miss out on the fullness of God in our life. I'm here to tell you that this is an hour when we need to be living out every principle of the kingdom of God. We don't, listen, we're not a denominational church, so we don't live by denominational ethics. Sometimes the kingdom can't come because God's people carry denominational ethics or they carry religious ethics and they, 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 they're more committed to the institution than they are the kingdom of God. We can never be more committed to the idea of religion and the activities of religion than we are to the principles of the kingdom of God this morning. We need to say, God, let the kingdom of God come in our lives this morning. Jesus says in John 3, he told Nicodemus, in order to enter, you've got to be born again, he says. In John 10, the scripture says, Jesus says, I am the door. Jesus tells Nicodemus, he said, you must be born again. If you want to be in the kingdom, you must be born again. Jesus tells us in John 10 that he is the door. How many know that it's through Jesus Christ we find salvation this morning? He is the door. But listen, herein lies the church this morning. Herein lies the American church. They bring you to the door, and that's not a bad thing. They bring you to the door, but that's as far as we take people in the things of God. We bring them to the door, but we don't bring them further. We don't take them further into the kingdom. We don't let the kingdom come deeper into the lives of people. And I'm here to tell you that in these last days, it's good to bring people to the door who is Jesus, because he's the way to heaven. But we can't leave people at the door in this hour. We have to take people on into a greater encounter with God this morning. There is a greater encounter. If I come to your house, please don't leave me at the door. (laughs) Some of you might. (laughs) 
You might slam it. (laughs) Please let me come in out of the rain, out of the heat, out of the raging storm from what's chasing me. Let me come in, come in into a brand new house and live a brand new way I've never seen before. See, it's one thing to bring people to the door and to get saved and to know Jesus, but it's another thing to bring them on into the house, into the kingdom where they can live, learn to live victoriously and learn to live in a way that leads, that God leads in their life where they are, where they are successful in God. The church has given up, for the most part, on bringing anybody into a deeper experience. I mean, for the most part, the church has somewhat given up on that. I can tell you, I mean, I have sat with a few pastors even in our town that, you know, they, they, have, just, they have just given up fighting a world system that is constantly bombarding the church and the principles of the kingdom of God. Are you all somewhat with me this morning? See, when I got saved 34 years ago, when I got saved was a young Christian, there was Sunday school, there was Sunday morning church, there was Sunday night church, y'all hearing me? There was Wednesday night church, there were Bible studies, they had revivals once a quarter, y'all with me? They had revivals once a quarter. They had fifth Sunday singings. Y'all remember the fifth Sunday singings? They had fifth Sunday singings. Tuesday night prayer meeting. Monday night visitation. Wednesday night church. Thursday night Bible study. Are you with me this? There's no way I could stay in that environment and think like the world. There's no way that I could be faithful to the things of God and stay and begin and continue to think like the world. Now we've canceled everything. In other words, our Wednesday night services throughout the church has become dinosaurs in some church movements. Sunday nights are off limits. There's no Sunday nights. Sunday mornings are just an hour. And if you're lucky... Not here, praise God, because I'm going to preach till I'm done. But in some places, you get 10, 15 minutes of the Word of God. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? You get a few minutes, and, and that's supposed to offset every billboard you read this week, every radio program you turned on, every TV program you've watched, every smartphone, computer, and iPad, and and the church is going to combat the world system designed to get its tentacles wrapped around you so tight that you spend the rest of your life unwrapping them from you. And we preachers are the ones that are allowing the thing to starve, the things of God that's being starved in your life, while allowing the appetite of the world is being increased in your life. And then folks come to church and want in one altar call to undo what 70 hours of being associated with the world did that week. We come and we want prayer. We want a 60-second prayer to run down to the altar and undo everything in 90 seconds what you learned from watching The View this week or Ellen DeGeneres this week or tips you got from Oprah or The Bachelorette, right? Or MTV or should I say Days of Your Lives? Is that even on TV anymore? <laughs> These are the days of our lives, right? <laughs> Come on, where's my soap opera, folks? My grandmother watched her, she called them her stories. 
She watched her stories. Young and the Restless and General Hospital. That was her thing. Y'all remember Luke off General Hospital? I only remember him because my grandmother made me watch that crazy stuff. Remember Luke and his wife or Laura, Luke and Laura, right? This, our world bombards us every week. But here's the thing this morning. We've got to do more than just leave people at the door. We have to give them an encounter with God. You know, I, I get a little bit perturbed because we say there's a word that I think that Christianity has abused or that has been abused in the, uh, you know, all you have to do is say the word prosperity this morning. And the first thing that comes into our mind is when we say prosperity is we think of some preacher that has abused the privilege of, of principles of money or we think of our favorite singer or our favorite actor, the car they drive, the crib and the house that they live in, right? Uh, the truck they drive, the rims they got on their wheels, where they shop, what they wear. We think that this is prosperity. And the truth is, we go to the offering plate and the altar asking God to prosper us, having in mind that we, we have... Uh, having in mind what we have seen Babylon offer the world, we think that in Christianity we should receive the same thing. That that's prosperity. That prosperity is somehow attached to the things that we have. Man, I'm here to tell you that prosperity can be peace of mind. Prosperity can be your health this morning. Prosperity can be favor, promotion, open door. Prosperity can be the things that God brings into your life that you can't put a price on. A healthy house, healthy children. Y'all hearing me this morning? That's prosperity. And yes, prosperity can come with the blessings of things. And we can be thankful for the good things that God gives us. But the truth is this morning... The world says, the word says, we sow to give so that we can receive something that Satan has given to somebody else. See, God has you sowing for something that's bigger than that. We don't sow to get what Satan has given the world. We sow to get a good night's sleep. <laughs> right? How many know being prosperous can have be rest in your life? Amen. Peace of mind. Joy, peace, and righteousness. If you've not had it, you'll sell the farm to get it. If you've not had it, you'll sell the ranch for it. Some of you will do anything to have peace or joy or to be right with God this morning. I want to read you a passage of Scripture in 1 Peter that I thought was interesting. And I want to break it down for you for a minute this morning. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and beginning in verse 8 and 9, it says... Whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy, expressible and full of glory. Receiving, listen to this, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Think about that passage for a minute. Whom having not seen, you've seen. Verse 9, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Receiving. If Jesus is the door and you can't enter except through him, 
And John tells us that the beginning, it begins in me. Righteousness, peace, and joy. But Peter says the end of your faith is the salvation of your soul. I thought that was an interesting passage. Because you and I know this morning that we are made up. Jesus is the door into salvation, right? When you get saved, your spirit gets saved, right? He saves us. Your spirit gets saved. You walk through the door. You become born again in your spirit. And so what happens is he becomes the author and finisher of your faith, the beginning and the end. In the Greek, the alpha and the omega, right? And so, but what happens is we think that once we step through the door, that is the end of our faith. That is all that we need to do. That is all that is required is that My spirit has been saved. I've walked through the door. I'm a Christian, and you are. But God wants to move you into living out the kingdom of God in you and righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. But Peter said this. He said at the end of your faith, now we're made up of body, soul, and spirit, right? And it says, Peter said that the end of your faith is the saving of your soul. Faith is being finished, is the salvation of your soul. So faith being the end of your soul, the saving of your soul, what's in the soul realm? We get saved in our spirit, but, our, but in our soul, in our soul is where lies what? Our mind, our will, and our emotions. Is that not right? Peter said that, that in the end, the ending of salvation, or the ending of your faith, is the salvation of your soul. We get saved in our spirit, but we have a lot of stuff that's down in our soul that needs to be redeemed and dealt with and brought to freedom. Faith being finished in the soul. What does that mean? That what houses my impulses, my desires, my passions, my emotions, my knowledge, my experiences, my want-tos. Your spirit gets saved, but your soul houses all of those desires that you have. Are you with me? Does that make sense to you? Because there is your desires. Your soul is your passions. It's your emotions. It's your intellect. See, the end of my faith is not when my spirit has been brought to the foot of the cross, but when my soul has been brought to the foot of the cross. It's when the things that are in the depths of my soul have been brought to the foot of the cross and have been resurrected into life. We don't know what it is to have that part of our person brought to death. What happens is we get saved in our spirit and we try to serve God with what we've learned, with what we feel, with the life we like, with the lifestyle we're used to. In other words, our wants, our desires, and our passions, and our experiences all have to be brought to the foot of the cross for death. But what happens is we get saved, our spirit gets saved, but we try to serve God out of our own desires, out of our own wants, out of our own passions. We try to serve God out of out of everything, the lifestyle we want. How we want to serve God. How we want to serve Him. We want to get saved, but we want to leave our lifestyle in place. How many know Jesus wants to get depth into our soul? 
and to bring the kingdom, not, not only come to the door and get saved, but let Jesus get on the inside of us, down into the passions of our life, and bring those to the cross. Where we can say, not my will, God, but your will be done in my life. But when my desires have been resurrected on the inside of me and my wants have been crucified, I no longer live. I longer live, I no longer live, but Christ Jesus lives in me. And we can know him in the power of his resurrection. To know him in the fellowship of his suffering. Everything you like must die. To know him in the fellowship of his suffering, to know him in the fellowship of his resurrection, so he can take what you want and let it die, so he can resurrect in you who you really are. Who you are in Adam is not who you are, but it's who you are in Christ. And he can resurrect his passions in you, that your will can die, but his will can be resurrected in your life. And it's no longer your life. Your life is no longer your own. Because the next phase of God in your life is that God will take you to a place where he'll wrestle with you about your wants. I don't know if you've been there. The truth is, many of our passions and things come from a fallen mind, from a sin nature that Adam gave us that comes from generational curses, that come from negative experiences in our life. He wants us to bring it to the cross so that he could kill it. It's when you lose your life, you discover what you were born to be. And what happens is we get in the battle of the wills with God. How many know you don't want to be in the battle of the will with God? Y'all remember Jonah? Because see, when you belong to God, you now become His. You now become His. And with Jonah, there was the wrestling of the will. Listen, God will sink a boat to make sure He gets you to go where He wants you to go. (laughs) Jonah was wrestling. It was the wrestling of his wills. We are not going to win that battle. It's just a matter of just how far are you going to take it and allow God to go. Let me just say this. It wasn't Satan sinking Jonah's boat. It wasn't, sink, it wasn't Satan that threw him in the water. It wasn't Satan that put him in the mouth of that fish. We have to be reminded this morning that some of our misery Some of your misery and my misery is because of our stubbornness. How long will we decide to be in the wilderness? God says, I'll let you walk around for 85 years. However long it takes to keep you in the cave until your heart hasn't changed. How long are you going to stay in the belly of that fish? Three days or three months? I think that we as the church and we as leaders, our greatest inability is to go after the deep level causes of sin that is in people's life. The deep level causes. See, the church is good at pointing the finger at sin. But we're terrible at finding out why people sin. 
Sin just doesn't happen. When it's there, sin, that means that it is a fruit. It means that something's been under the surface for a long time. But we, in the church, we point at the action of sin without having compassion on how it got that far in somebody's life. How can they sit in church for 20 years and it get this far? Once it's bearing fruit, it's what? It's a full-blown tree. John the Baptist said Jesus came to lay an axe at the root of any tree. And, but here's what we've been satisfied. The church has sought the anointing to pick up pieces of continual mistakes in our lives instead of letting Jesus take an axe to the root of sin that is in our lives. Anything that is fruit, the works of the flesh, evidence that something is the evidence that something that nobody caught, the works of the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit even, tells us that there's an underlying stream of the life of the Holy Spirit that is working in our life, the fruit of the Spirit. A gift is never evidence of someone's relationship with God. Fruit is. The difference is fruit is born out of intimacy. See, your gift doesn't impress us. I can give you a gift and you not know, even know who I am. Right? But you can't, you can't have fruit without intimacy. You can't have a baby without intimacy. Right? There has to be intimacy that's there. Listen, and that is why Jesus forbid us to cast judgment on another person. He has never given us the license to cast judgment on another person. Why? Because, first of all, sin has its own consequences. And the second thing is, by the same measure you judge, you shall be judged in the same manner. And there's another reason. It's because all I see is what you did. What I didn't see was the seed that was planted over a lifetime in your life the generational curse, the things that came through your life that brought fruit to sin in our life. And so that's why a judge gets to pass the sentence. Why? Because he has all the evidence. He's privy to all of the evidence. Listen, when people sin, sometimes we don't have all the evidence. God's never licensed us to make a judgment because we've not been privy to everything that has happened. That's why only God can cast and bring judgment upon someone's life. The reason we can never pass sentences is because we don't have all of the evidence. You just saw what happened. You didn't see what happened to them at the age of five and at the age of seven. How they grew up, where they grew up. Who was their dad? What abuse had taken place? In a, what are the experiences that they had lived through? Who was their granddaddy and who was their grandmama? Who was, who was their life? We better let God pass judgment and not us. You see someone who's 51 and they're a drunk. You see the drunk, but God sees someone who's 51, and God knows the whole story. He knows their generation. He knows what they've been through. He knows where they've walked. He knows what's driven them to where they are. God says, I reserve judgment for myself. And so, as we talk about the kingdom of God this morning, I want to close. Turn with me to Ezekiel, Exodus chapter 20.
Exodus chapter 20 and verse 4. You shall not make of yourself a graven image, any, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, is a jealous God. God is a jealous God this morning. In other words, God says, I don't share. (laughs) He doesn't share you this morning. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Visiting the iniquity of the children to the third and fourth generation. He says in verse 6, Mercy, if you love me. In other words, God says that if you love me, I won't let what was to get you get a hold of you if you keep my laws and my commandments. What are iniquities? Iniquities were those things that are inherited from our earthly parents. Things behind the impulses and the desires and the passions. What you do that you hate to do, that you don't, that you don't know how to stop doing. Those come from the iniquities that are in our lives. That we inherit even from our parents. That we get them from generation after generation. Things behind the root that's under the the ground. The writer of Hebrews calls them besetting sins. The Bible tells us to lay aside every sin that so easily besets us. That one area, that one thing that goes, that goes away for a while, but always seems to revisit us. It's the cycle that shows up in every season. That same old thing, just 10 years older. Jesus didn't just come so that you could resist bad impulses all your life. He came to free you from those things. Because his nature can become your nature. And he can get inside of you and put the kingdom inside of you. And you and him want the same thing. Pastor Adam, if you'll come. Jesus is forgiveness this morning. But here's the thing. Death requires your participation. Romans 12 says that we are living sacrifices. The problem with living sacrifice is that we can crawl off the altar anytime we want to. And the thing is, I don't know about you, but I want to wake up every morning with the kingdom of God operating in my life. I want righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. The world didn't give it, and the world can't take it away this morning. You hearing what I'm saying this morning? Stand with me if you would this morning. We're good at bringing people to the door. But it's a salt life. It is a salt life that's going to carry people into the presence of God so that they can begin to deal with the soul issues of their life. Their desires, their passions, their will. And what happens is people get saved, but they never surrender their will to God. So there's this constant battle all the time. 
But we have to understand this morning that it's time for us to let the kingdom of God be in us. Before it can come to the earth, it has to be in us. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness and right standing with God. The peace of God ruling and reigning in our lives. The joy that becomes our strength. I want to get up every day with the kingdom of God in my life. See, that's, that's why people can come to church, they're saved, but their life is always living on the edge. They're always giving in to sin, they're always practicing sin in their life. They wonder why there's this internal struggle internally, and it's because God's trying to get your attention. Because there's more to life than just getting people in the door, but God wants us to live victoriously so that the kingdom of God can be manifested in our lives and through our lives. It's not something we get from the world. It comes from God. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.